first of all, let me thank you for being on the show. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I've been a fan of the crazy stuff I see you do in the periphery. I first discovered you, obviously, through Kate, who I knew first. Um, but I got really excited within the last few years, especially when I saw that you guys did that partnership for uh, Glob, which was both wrestling mm -hmm. and burlesque, which was really cool because I'm more in the burlesque scene. Um, but to start, you've been wrestling a long time, right? You're not new to the scene. You've been around a while, yeah? Uh, yes. Uh, I have uh, been performing under the hood of Ophidian the Cobra since 2007. My first match in professional wrestling was 2006. Uh, so I've got 13 years in professional wrestling. Wow. And have you always loved wrestling? Like, did you grow up watching the, the, uh, the old timers on the TV? <laughs> um, I did grow up watching the old timers. Uh, this definitely was a thing that I experienced growing up with my, my father uh, watching professional wrestling. Like, I don't remember a time when uh, wrestling wasn't in my life. You know, in that sense, like, uh, I think, uh, especially um, in the Spanish households that I grew up in, uh, every every single family member of mine, my cousins, you know, my uncles, my aunts, we all watched wrestling in some form of, of another, whether it's whether it was WWF or Triple uh, A or CMML on Telemundo. Um, you know, wrestling was always a, a part of uh, my family. And growing up in the Philadelphia area, which is uh, which I can I can get into in a moment, uh, kind of really nailed that down. Sure. I would imagine so. And did you have a favorite wrestler growing up or even in your teen years? Like, was there like a wrestler that, that you loved more than the others? If you spoke to me as a young child, uh, like, you know, I would say pre-teen years, mm -hmm. uh, without a doubt, The Undertaker, because there's a specific moment I remember in professional wrestling when, you know, I've, I've watched it, but like the moment that hooked me, um, which The Undertaker versus The Undertaker at SummerSlam. I remember that, yeah. And when those two went face-to-face, -face, it blew my young mind, you know, uh, just seeing The Undertaker, who I loved, and, that, and, and some of the other stuff, like his build-up with The Ultimate Warrior, where, like, you know, he was kind of putting people in body bags and putting them, you know, like, burning them alive in his, uh, uh, whatever the place you take dead people to, I forget what it's called at the moment, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and just seeing all these, uh, the Undertaker do all these different things that were in character, um, you know, because Undertaker was always fully gimmicked to the, you know, to the core. Of course, yeah. Um, so watching another Undertaker, thinking that there was another person out in the world that had these mystical powers that the Undertaker had, just blew my mind and had, and had me hooked from that moment on. Um, post preteens, you know, growing up in an ECW and CZW world. Uh, enjoying some of the, you know, like the edgy alternative hardcore stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, I loved, loved, loved uh, RVD and the Luchadors, um, you know, Mysterio and, and Psychosis and Hooventude. Yeah, I, I remember, like, so it's funny. So, like, I grew up a goth kid in the 90s. And so, like, of course, I loved The Undertaker, like the theatricality and, like, even beyond when, you know, he was, like, the Lord of Darkness with Paul Bearer. And then, of course, the Hell in the Cell with Mankind. Like, growing up in that era of wrestling, I don't watch as much of it now, but, like, growing up during that era, there was just so much ridiculous shit that you could find on TV and online. And then you mentioned ECW. Like, I loved Tommy Dreamer. I loved the idea of this wrestler who was just no business, no frills, just came out and put people down. Absolutely. And and you couldn't not be hyped. And then for him to go against guys like Rob Van Dam, who was just like a cartoon character, like moved in a way that I didn't think another human could move. 
there was something about uh, the way that ECW introduced the high flyers that made them feel different from anything you know NWA or WWF or WCW was doing with those types of performers. Um, the way that they highlighted them and kind of took the leash off of every single one of them um, gave us something that I don't think we'll ever really re be able to repeat as far as like performances go. You know, there's some really cool stuff that exists now between guys like Ricochet and Will Ospreay. You know, when you see that kind of stuff for guys like Phoenix and Penta right now, who are doing some really cool stuff, uh, some really innovative stuff on the indie scene. Um, but there was just a magic that happened in that, that time period that we're only starting to kind of feel again in the scene. Yeah, there was a level of theatricality that I always loved about the WWE when it was still the WWF. Like, I was one of the few people who was actually a Gangrel fan. Because, like, of course, like, like I said, goth kid in the 90s, so grew up loving They had it. one of the greatest theme songs of all time. Yeah, and... The Brood. And so, the music was so good. Yeah, the, the Brood's music was so good. Their entrance with the Ring of Fire, I remember that whatever the first video game they were featured in that I got, that, like, they had that entrance in a video game. I was like, this is amazing! You know, like, there was something about... The, that era, like the Attitude Era, a little bit before and a little bit after, where like anything goes. Like they had the Hurricane and, you know, of course the Rock and like all of these larger than life characters, some who are just, you know, all Attitude and then t tons of other characters who had these ridiculous gimmicks like Al Snow and the, the, the you know, the, the head. Um, it just it captured my imagination in a way that comic books and video games did as well because of just how over the top it was. Um, that is that's absolutely what drew me into professional wrestling, the, uh, the theatricality of it. I love, love, love um, the over the top uh, characters that exist in the world of professional wrestling being one myself. Sure. And so uh, let's and talk about you a little <laughs> bit. And of course, as a Fiddy in the Cobra, Fiddy in the Ouroboros, you wear uh, a Cobra luchador mask. Um, uh, and you're always masked, no matter what. There are no images mm -hmm. of you without the mask. It's part of the culture. Growing up watching Rey Mysterio, like even though I'm not a super familiar with luchadors, I feel like I have a Cliff Notes version of it because of the you know the things that he did and that how he did eventually get unmasked and it was this huge thing and the community was in an uproar because it went against everything and so like talk a little bit about your inspiration for pursuing wrestling and what made you really want to go the path of a luchador and be masked and always wear a mask uh i mentioned this slightly earlier about growing up in the philadelphia area mm -hmm. um there is at least when I was growing up, no uh, better place to enjoy professional wrestling than in South Philadelphia. You know, it's truly the epicenter for professional wrestling, the DCW arena. Growing up, I would go to CZW shows, Ring of Honor shows. Uh, I just got the chance to see IW Mid-South at the arena, Velocity Pro, Chikara, right? all these independent companies in this area. And even before that, uh, on when I was in high school, before I was really kind of sneaking out to go to wrestling shows on my own, we had a WGTV 48 or sometimes channel 18 where I grew up at in Jersey that had it, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning, 2 a.m. in the morning, NWA Wildside, Fake UTV, which was CZW's, you know, like late night television show, ECW, uh, uh, Women's Extreme Wrestling, right? You had all these different companies coming on at midnight every night of the week. Uh, I was just bombarded with independent underground professional wrestling. Um, and that was really only in this area, you know, in Philadelphia. And uh, so while WWE made me a professional wrestling fan, uh, 
you know, made me love pro wrestling, uh, the independent scene, going to the arena as a you know young adult made me want to be a professional wrestler. Being in that environment was intoxicating. You know, it it, it drove me to want to cross the barrier and get in the ring. You know, I could interact, I could talk to, I could I could touch these performers month in and month out and watch them so closely um, at that arena. It felt like I was a part of something that. Uh, I couldn't replicate anywhere else in my life. Um, so not only, you know, kind of being in that environment, but then also having access to the wrestling school that was in the ECW arena. So I got my start training inside the ECW arena and being able to train in a venue, you know, where guys like RVD and Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko and Benoit and Guerrero and Mysterio and all these dudes trained at and performed at, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, performed at, they all didn't train there, uh, was, uh, Something I couldn't turn down. Uh, so, you know, um, growing up in this area, having the ability to train at that building under the likes of Cesaro, who at the time was Claudio Casanulli, uh, Cassius Ono, who was Chris Hero at the time, both of you know which work for the WWE now, and Mike Quackenbush, who was one of the uh, trainers in the Performance Center, who still who runs, you know, Chikara as well. Uh, he's one of the only um, trainers that works there, but also still has his own wrestling school outside of the WWE. So getting to train under all these guys and still, you know, um, was something that uh, I think has forever changed my life and set me down a path I could never turn away from. Uh, going the route of a masked performer was not what I expected when I got into professional wrestling. It wasn't the first thought, and not because I didn't enjoy the mask and didn't want to be a part of the mask, but we all have these crazy, grandiose ideas on what we're going to be when we're young. Sure. You know? uh, whether it's going to be a, a face-painted, you know, goth character. Like, uh, I called myself the Angel of Death low-key when I backyarded. Uh, I called myself, you know, Little Shank as a backyarder. I called myself Bloodhound. I called myself, you know, Lucky Pierre. I had all these different crazy names, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, backyarding with your friends before I got into professional wrestling. Um, and it wasn't until I started training and learning from these guys that I really understood the performance aspect of professional wrestling. You know, when you watch a movie, you watch, you listen to music, uh, you any kind of entertainment that you're offered that you choose to consume, you don't always look under the hood to see what makes it work and what and why it works. If it's done really well, if it's good art, if it's quality entertainment, you don't have to, you don't think about those things. You know, and I looked at professional wrestling in that way. I loved it and I wanted to know the mechanics, but more so the physical mechanics behind it, like the how to do a backflip, you know, how to fly off the top rope kind of stuff. I never really sat back and consumed the, or learned uh, how to consume the entertainment aspect of it and the, uh, the things that revolve around that until I started training. And then once I got that understanding and uh, really learned to appreciate the theatricality behind pro wrestling, that's when I wanted to go the route of a mask. And what is it about the cobra that really, that you identify with? What what about that symbol and that being that, that uh, really you're connected to? Uh, I like the... Wearing a mask to me, right, helps uh, cloak the performer underneath. I hope that when you watch me, when you're when I'm performing, the thought of the human that is wearing the the hood never comes into your mind. Mm-hmm. You don't wonder who is that guy that's wearing the you know the Ophidian mask or why he cho- choose to do that while performing. And I think the uh, the ability to embody a cobra um, kind of helped me uh, was a 
was an animal that could help me hide who I was underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, I took martial arts most of my life. I took Gojo Root, Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for about 11 years. You know, the kind of different martial arts over throughout my life and still do train in martial arts now a little less than I used to because professional wrestling kind of consumes most of my time but I still try to spend some of my days uh, here and there training in martial arts to kind of keep up with uh, things I've learned in my life Um, and being a big fan of old school kung fu films I wanted to go the route of a animal type Um, and I thought snake was always uh, one that stuck out to me as underutilized and underrepresented in the world of uh, entertainment um and it's just so much fun uh, <laughs> it's just a blast um i don't have to fake it it is who i am and what i am right um from my flexibility to to my movements in the ring from my martial arts background um it's not something i have to fake i am uh ophidian i am which Ophidian, if you don't know, means snake-like. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition of Ophidian, which is very much me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your costumes, your masks, and your outfits. Of course, for those who don't know, they are made by the incredible Kate Nix, who has uh, her own wrestling uh, costuming company. Um, was she making costumes for you before the company existed, or did like her working for you specifically, like, specifically and helping you create these costumes lead to creating her own uh, design company? This is one of the things that uh, uh, I think um, really brought us together as a couple. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lots of things in our lives that we were able to communicate with that crossover between burlesque uh, and pro wrestling and uh, what it means to entertain and, and how both are similar and how we entertain an audience kind of draws us together the way that we can communicate on that level. Uh, and as well as on a personal level, and then the ability to uh, help each other grow on a business level as well. So we saw the ability to kind of create a business partnership with uh, our different disciplines. Kate's always been a seamstress her whole life. Uh, You know, she grew up in the seamstress community. Her her mother worked at a theater. Um, So she's been working in theater since she was, you know, a young child. Uh, She's always had that job. So when we started performing together, or sorry, dating, uh, and uh, I got into a situation where one of my gear makers fell through, uh, before a, a, an import, a very, very important angle. I turned to her desperately to make me a set of gear that the gear maker could not. Um, so she made uh, what I refer to as my ghost Ophidian, my like, Kung Fu Master Ophidian. It was like a full white set of gear um, where I had like, an old Kung Fu robe that I wore out to the ring. Um, I had just died in Chikara. I was put into a sarcophagus and buried alive. And what came out was especially, essentially an undead version of me. Um, and she created that first set of gear for me. And then from kind of then on, it snowballed into, oh, you made that set of gear for him. Well, we can make the set of gear for one of my students and then another student. And then before we knew it, uh, Kate was making gear full time for pro wrestling. Um, and lucky enough, uh, she's, you know, throughout that, I've learned how to sew as well. Um, so while she originally made all of my costumes, uh, I learned how to make costumes with her as well, and now I make all my own masks. So anything you see now, at least what's in the last two years, has been made by me. That's awesome. Uh, but under under her tutelage, of course. Of course. Uh, that's really cool. That's really awesome, this idea that um, how the two of you influence each other. And it's funny, talking about burlesque and wrestling running in the same circles. Like, I've been DJing in burlesque for almost seven years, and I've been hosting for the last three. And, like, it wasn't until... Um, Glow happened on Netflix and then like seeing things like Glob and Tasselmania 
and going, oh my god, they are the same. Like, there are differences, but the theatricality level, there is, there can be, if you want it to be, no difference, which I thought was really fascinating. Uh, there's a concept in, in burlesque that I'm sure you know, but maybe for people listening that don't, is the uh, uh, tension and tease, right? Right. Like, you're, uh, the idea that you're teasing the audience and building up tension throughout the performance for the end reveal. In professional wrestling, we do the same exact thing. We just don't call it, you know, uh, tease or tension, right? We're, we are building to a specific pop in a match, right? A specific audience reaction. And we tease the audience by demonstrating athletic maneuvers early in the match and kind of giving them uh, the idea of what they could expect later in the match when the fireworks really go off, right? When we get the reaction we want. And just as a burlesque performance, you know, uh, the the big reveal, you know, the declothing is the same idea. It's, we're just taking two different paths to get to the same exact end result, and we're using different terminology to get there. But same exact uh, format, same structure to our performances. Um, for those who don't know, who haven't seen, um, I keep mentioning Glob, which is the Gorgeous Ladies of Burlesque, which was a burlesque and wrestling show where there were burlesque performers I know who were actually in the ring with you guys. What was that like to kind of curate that kind of um, joint uh, companionship in the ring between two arts that are similar and like create that event man um, so uh, I first met Kate in 2008 mm -hmm. at a burlesque wrestling event called a uh, squared circle review mm -hmm. so it was a uh, it was a show that had all. it was a side show like a, an old-timey circus, like a 1930s circus-themed professional wrestling event that had, you know, cabaret and uh, and, and fire breathers and, and aerial stuff and, like, like, lira, stuff like that. And that always kind of inspired me. Like, this is a cool idea. This is, this to me is what professional wrestling can eventually turn into, a variety show. I've heard the term a gonzo variety show when describing this style of entertainment. Uh and like that was kind of like my first taste, not only of the independence as a whole outside of Philadelphia, kind of seeing what the rest of the country is doing, what could be done with the independence scene. This is 2008. Uh, and uh, being able to do that show every single year uh, from 2008 till about 2013 kind of gave Kate and I a really strong foundation of what a professional wrestling burlesque you know, variety show could look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in kind of figuring out what we wanted to do on our own, uh, we realized that the thing that was missing from that show was the interaction between the acts. Right. You know, like, they were all just separate pieces being presented as opposed to, you know, one cohesive unit, one cohesive story or through line uh, throughout the show. And I, we knew we wanted to do that, uh, given that that's what we felt was missing from that form of, of entertainment, that or that form of uh, show. So, uh when asking any of the burlesque dancers to get into a professional wrestling ring and to utilize the environment, right? We're kind of run the ropes. Take a fall if you want. You know, do do a flip off of the, you know, throughout the environment. Uh, you could tell it was very taxing. Yeah. Uh, just both mentally and physically on them. Uh, even no, nothing more so than on, uh, for no one more so than Kate sure. and Miss Liberty. Uh, Miss Liberty Rose, you know, they we uh, streamed our training sessions out of the Wrestle Factory. So we can kind of show the world that they were actually training to become professional wrestlers for the show. And then the weeks leading up to it, I got to work with all the girls individually. Some came down from New York or from other parts of from Baltimore uh, to come train, to spend a day training with me to learn the ring so they could build custom acts for the environment. And uh, that 
without a doubt was probably the most satisfying aspect of the whole experience is watching uh, their brains light up with ideas once they learned how they could use the environment and that they were free to do whatever they wanted, you know, in a space in a way that a traditional stage would never allow them to express themselves. Um, that was, uh, without a doubt, a, a, a very gratifying experience. Yeah, it was really cool as just a spectator because I couldn't make it to Philly for the show for whatever reason, probably doing something not nearly as cool. Um <laughs> I saw the videos of like Bunny and Schaefer, who I know really well, taking bumps and just being so giddy about it. And even though it was clearly taxing and a lot of work, like just ready to do whatever was as someone who grew up watching wrestling. And though I don't watch it as much now, I did do some very amateur, not very good backyard wrestling. Like I got to live vicariously through them, seeing those kinds of things, which I thought were really cool. Because if you're any kind of nerd about any of that stuff, it's just fun to kind of get behind the scenes and see how that stuff happens, you know? Uh, there's something really satisfying about watching people play in an environment that are clearly really enjoying each other's company and collaborating. The collaboration is really uh, the the most, the best part about doing variety shows is that um, you get to see these other people who view art through a different lens and then going, all right, I want to view art through the lens that you do so I can not only better understand what it is that I'm doing through the eyes of somebody else, but then create something I would have never thought of otherwise. And Glob was to me something like this theatrical presentation of pro wrestling through the lens of burlesque uh, is something that um, I think is completely unique to what we did that night. I don't think there's anything else that has been made like it before or after. Uh, and that actually leads me to ask my next question, which is, besides obviously burlesque, which we've talked about quite a bit at this point, is there any other medium that you've pulled from that inspires Ophidian or stuff you've done in Ring or stuff for storylines or way you've cut promos? Like, have you pulled from any other media or entertainment for that? So uh, I've gotten a little bit of flack for this, but I've also gotten... Uh... Oh, the, the opposite end of it, um, you know, kind of uh, an understanding of why I say this, but uh, there's a phrase that I like to throw around, and that is, talent borrows and genius steals. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not to say uh, you should steal from within your own art form. You shouldn't. Uh, if it already exists in your art form, you should, you know, like, look someplace else, create something new. Um, and I don't mean the commonali co uh, commonalities that we all use, like, the, you know, the specific, like, for example, pro wrestling, we all throw body slams, right? So you're not really stealing a body slam from somebody because that's a common uh, piece of vocabulary that right. everybody in the industry is allowed to use. I don't mean that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, the more elaborate and very specific things. But talent bars and genius steals, we're all in, we've, we're a culmination, um, every single person in the world of our life experiences. We say the things we do, we perform the things that we do, right? We, we, uh, seek out the things that we do because of the way that we've experienced life. We're pulling from our past experiences to influence what we're going to do today, tomorrow, or, you know, a week from now. And I feel that should be the same way with the way that we perform. You know, we perform a specific way because of our life influences, and we shouldn't uh, deny those things, right? Deny those urges or deny those influences. Uh, so I absolutely seek out uh, what's brought me to the dance, essentially, you know, through pop culture specifically things like uh five deadly venoms 
which is a Shaw Brothers film. Really, all the Shaw Brothers movies, because I'm a huge Shaw Brothers fan. But that movie specifically, Five Deadly Venoms, number two was the Master of Snake style. He was known as the Snake Spirit, uh, which is where I got the tag name Snake Spirit from, and uh, where a lot of my uh, basic movements came from. Uh, for more modern-day martial arts, I love Tony Jaw films and The Protector. I've legit straight-up taken specific movements from the way he throws his kicks and the way he throws his knee attacks from his Muay Thai martial arts style and incorporated it into professional wrestling. And I feel that's valid and that's very important to look at because those things aren't being used in the world of professional wrestling. I can look at professional wrestling through the eyes of... Uh, you know, old school martial arts films and go, okay, these things work in the martial arts environment. These types of stories, these tropes, these movements, the vocabulary that they're speaking in these films, I can take over and bring into professional wrestling and it'll be fresh, it'll be new because it's not something being utilized in that environment, in that art form. So, talent bars, genius steals. I do steal a lot uh, from other things that I enjoy in life, specific martial arts films. And of course, um, there's no denying that, you know, G.I. Joe's Serpentor had a huge influence <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> on the way that I sound when I'm performing and cutting promos, as well as various other things like some of my love of, you know, old school like, uh, uh, exploitation films and my uh, love of horror. Sure. I mean, and, and I totally get that. I, I mean... I've, like I said, I've been a, a fan at a distance for a long time, just knowing you peripherally through Kate. But when Kate posted the video about helping you cut a promo um, on her YouTube channel, that's what inspired me to reach out because, like, it's just, just the little things that you guys talked about, about how you record and the, the way you run the promos and the way you talk and then hearing the final product. Like, it was just, it brought me back to a golden age of wrestling that I loved. And not to say wrestling now isn't as good because I don't watch it, so I can't really speak to that. But it was very <laughs> reminiscent of your promos of, like, these ridiculous characters. Like, try, if you watch any Ultimate Warrior promo now, like, it's no wonder the guy went nuts or people think he went nuts or whatever because like he was just so over the top regardless it you know and like the mean gene days you know oh yeah you know what uh, uh my favorite is the macho man he was oh, yeah. uh, practically an amateur magician where he would just make props <laughs> appear from out of nowhere in his promos trash cans and little creamers and all types of newspapers uh he's just so good at it yeah and i just i loved that stuff and like or you know, even in the Attitude era, era, like every time The Rock cut a promo, you were waiting for It Doesn't Matter or, you know, any of that stuff. And like He was so good at the call and response um, that uh, doesn't, that is kind of, I'm not saying lacking from, from, lacking from a lot of entertainment now in the way that we present it and allowing the audience to have that say in, in the way that we perform, you know, that uh, allowing that immediate feedback uh, so that we can ad-lib and work on the fly with them. Um, that's a, that's so much fun to be had there that you get a guy like The Rock who's really good at doing so. You know, a lot of his catchphrases was made up on the not on the fly, but kind of became uh, something because of his allowance of the audience to have say in what he was doing in his performance. Yeah, I'll never forget when uh, Hulk Hogan made his return to the WWE. I can't remember what year it was, but I think it was after WCW was gone, um, and he was fighting The Rock in a main event, and I got to watch the audience change like make the heel turn for the rock they were cheering hulk and booing the rock like and he was nwo at the time 
Like, he was not mm-hmm. supposed to be a face in that match. But the audience was so excited that he was back that they made him a face because of how that live crowd reacted. And it's just a thing I don't think I've ever seen in any other medium where the audience directly in the moment influenced and changed what was happening in the ring. Uh, it's one of the few uh, few things that professional wrestling can do that other art forms cannot. Uh, between that and uh, living at the same time that we live, uh, meaning that like professional wrestling happens in the real world in a way that other art doesn't. You know, when you see me perform in the ring, and you know, let's say a month has passed, and the next time that you see me perform, thirty days have passed for Ophidian the Cobra in the same way thirty days has passed for Matt Storm. You know, like there is yeah. no other art form that follows that trajectory that lives in the same world as we do. You know. Granted, there are a few exceptions to, to that sometimes with certain characters. Um, but for the most part, we gr- we live and grow in the same rate anybody else lives and grows as far as the character uh, side of things go. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask, actually, because I'm always fascinated about people within an art form when they consume an art form. So for you, watching wrestling, like something like Glow, which is a TV show based on actual wrestling, watching actual current wrestling, or playing a wrestling video game, do any of those things, like can you do those things, or are you so critical or so uh, passionate about what you do in the physical space that you can't enjoy those things? Uh, I'll start off with video games first and foremost, <laughs> man. I love gaming, but when I game, I want to live in an uh, I want an escapist experience. Right. I want to live in another world. So, in professional wrestling, video games don't really provide me that. <laughs> and I am either I say that probably because I'm really bad at wrestling video games. I'm great at video games, but bad at wrestling video games. Uh, and I don't like the WWE uh, games. Not to say there aren't good wrestling. I like more arcade, over-the-top style sure. uh, wrestling games. Um, but as far as entertainment goes, I still love professional wrestling. And I think if I couldn't watch professional wrestling through the eyes of a fan anymore, then I don't know if I could still continue wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being able to consume it and in the same way that I consumed it when I was younger, you know, when I really loved wrestling and what was being presented didn't matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things, right? I would consume it regardless of whether it was good or bad. I was just happy to have it a part of my life. Um, and I think I still am in that mindset now. I haven't lost that feeling yet. Um, and I would be afraid if I did. Um, and I think that goes true even for other, like Glow, like Glow or uh, even movies like The Wrestler, right? And things like that, that kind of uh, give you a, an alternate take, you know, in another art form of what we do. Um, I can look at that stuff and hopefully enjoy it for what it is, is just in another another version of what what it is we do, like another way to tell the same stories that I've been watching and telling through, you know, over years. Um, the, see, that's always fascinating to me because I like, you know, you assume if musicians still listen to music, wrestlers would watch wrestling and so on and so forth. But it's not always that way in every art form. And it's, so it's always really interesting to hear how people interact with that art. You mentioned that you like playing video games. Um, What kind of things do you like to do uh, when you're decompressing, when you're not wrestling or training for wrestling or preparing for wrestling? I think there's there's one thing I want to touch base on before we move forward. Sure. uh, You've reminded me of is that because professional wrestling is a partnered art form, Mm -hmm. 
right? Like, I cannot, I absolutely cannot in any way make professional wrestling by myself. There must be an <laughs> opponent across the ring. Even if that opponent is the invisible man, right. there's still an opponent across the ring for me that I'm working with, right? And not even just that, like a referee in this commentary, right? There's an, an entire production that needs to happen in order, for, in order for wrestling to happen. And I think a lot of professional wrestlers still watch as much wrestling as they perform because we're still seeking out other performers that we would like to create art with mm. whereas like with music you can be a musician and work by yourself entirely right uh acting i mean you can kind of work with just a small group of people and never work with anybody else you know like you can kind of stay insular but with pro wrestling that doesn't work that way right you need that change of you need a constant changeover in performers in order to keep the wrestling what it is right to keep it alive and vibrant and to keep it fresh and new uh, you cannot you know wrestle the same guy every you know every single day for your entire career nobody would watch it you know long term um and uh i, I think that's another thing that is uh part of the professional wrestling industry that um outside of like circus arts and stuff like that like partner circus arts that you don't really get i mean anything else um yeah no yeah that makes sense i hadn't even thought of that but that does make sense i mean it's it's competitive it's like any other competitive sport or you know sport adjacent thing is like if it's competitive you need someone else you know no one wants to watch a hockey team play by themselves they want to watch them play <laughs> another hockey team yeah um absolutely and that's really fascinating um so i hadn't thought of that but that may it duh you know it makes perfect sense um, but going back to the uh, the downtime, I know when I ask a lot of artists if what they do in their downtime, a lot of them are like nothing because I'm so busy making art. Um, do you get downtime? Do you get to play some video games or watch some movies, things like that? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I think it's important to constantly consume other art forms that are outside of your own in order to keep your mind fresh for the art that you're making because you will grow stagnant. You will... Uh, kind of have that writer's block if you aren't consuming other media that is outside of your, or you know, outside of the tried and true stuff that you're used to con uh, consuming. Um, if you don't allow your brain to eat a little bit of junk food every once in a while, right, to kind of like uh, veg out, I guess for the lack of a better term at the moment, um, you aren't going to have a fresh idea pop up, right? It's like if you don't get some sleep, you know, uh, your brain's not going to function the same way. Uh, and if you don't pull yourself out of the art that you create and allow yourself live brain to breathe and not have to focus on work so much, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get lost in it and stuck. Um, so I absolutely believe it's of the utmost uh, ne you know necessary to create and consume outside of pro wrestling. So gaming always. I'm currently living in the world of Mortal Kombat. Nice. It came out the other day um and mortal kombat's a huge influence on wrestling for me as well mortal kombat uh scorpions of zero these guys have uh, definitely influenced some of the things that i say and do in the ring i've got mortal kombat tattoos on my body um and that that's a world that i enjoy uh, pulling from stealing from uh and of course destiny as well um but i'm a massive horror horror fan uh and just love you know cinema in general i went to college uh, for uh, for video imaging, um, so some of my background is in that. Um, being able to consume any film, I don't care what it is. I love all all media uh, when it comes uh, all the types of media, all, all genres. I'm sorry of that media, and but uh, specifically horror and like exploitation from you know 70s and early 80s. Do you have an absolutely number one favorite horror film? 
uh, the Hellraiser franchise is without a doubt I think nice. my favorite horror movies um, Pinhead I think is a great the Cenobites in general are just great villains uh, I enjoy the book just as much as I enjoy the movies uh, for different reasons I think that the movies do it well even if they're not they don't really stay true to the book um, I do think the movies do it well and create something Clive Barker's created something with the original Hellraiser movie that uh, did not exist in horror before he made it um, and uh, it hasn't been done well since yeah, but. my my issue with a lot like so I'm not really a horror fan. I'm kind of a coward. I've started to come back to it because some more recent movies have been less about the jump scare. Like I've seen both of Jordan Peele's horror, horror movies, which I actually really enjoyed, even though they still terrified the crap out of me. Um, but I find like the older stuff was really great at building suspense and then having a payoff. Whereas the stuff in the 2000s, like all of the torture porn and and some of the other stuff that came out around that time or even the newer versions of old horror movies were all about like jump scares and gr the grotesque and not about curating a mood or an environment, which I feel like is what really good horror does. Yeah. I think part of that was the, especially since at that time period, a lot of those movies didn't have the budget or the backing, you know, uh, socially, um, uh, to do what they wanted to do. They had to be creative in ways that we don't need to be creative anymore in, in those uh, in those mediums. So, you know, horror working on a shoestring budget and having nobody back them is just a bunch of friends going, we can make whatever we want. We're limited in how we make it, but there's no studio to answer to. There's, you know, there's no higher up to say we can't do this. We can do this how we want in whatever way we want. Uh, created a, a, a genre of entertainment, you know, the exploitation films that um, were above and beyond what anybody would have ever expected, especially if you look back at them now. Um, and kind of see what they created back then. Yeah, totally. Uh, by the way, I just want to say, for consistency's sake, I'm so glad that your neighbor's dog is barking because Kate and I, when I interviewed her for the podcast, had the same problem. So, you know, it keeps us all in universe, in the Kate Ophidian <laughs> universe, that that dog is barking. He, he barks more when we're in this room. Oh, uh, okay. When we're, we record in the back story room, and I, I know it's what it is. We come back here, and he, can, he has to be able to hear our voices, and he wants in on the conversation. Right, of course. He just wants to be heard. I mean, that that's really it. Um, uh, I, I've really loved chatting with you, Ophidia, and I love, like, so I, I've struggled to get back into wrestling, and I really want to, and I've talked to some people that they're just like, just jump in, watch it, and you'll get back into it. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we wrap up about you know, and it's a bit of a cheesy question, but I like asking artists this question. Like, if there are people listening who are interested in wrestling or have wanted to check out either wrestling on TV or the stuff that you do or get involved and be a part of wrestling, like, what would you say is a great entry point for people, either if they want to learn and train or if they just want to watch? Uh, so I'll start with the watching part. Uh, we often forget that, like with music, right? Uh, there are all tips, different types of genres and there's subgenres within that. So while you may not, you know, uh, be a fan of the main genre of something, you might like a subgenre that is intertwined with another genre of music you like, right? Right. Uh, there are uh, there are always alternatives um, to uh, an alternative take on you know on a specific genre or form of entertainment. And the same is true for professional wrestling. You know, you can watch WWE, the tried and true uh, form of professional wrestling that has existed for, uh, you know, generations at this point. That is kind of the most consumable to a mainstream audience. 
Or you could start looking at the subgenres of professional wrestling and go specifically in the direction of high flyers. If all you want to see are people doing crazy acrobatic feats that uh, look like it's something right out of a circus, then you can watch, you know, Lucha Libre. You can watch some of this, you know, exciting uh, over-the-top stuff. If you're a hardcore horror fan and love gore, you can watch death matches, right? You can watch right. dudes getting power bombed through glass, you know, glass tables and light tubes and getting, you know, their skin caught on barbed wire and ripped out during a match. If you like comedy, right, and just want to see people kind of being silly and having fun, there are companies that just do straight comedy wrestling. You know, uh, one of my favorite is uh, Old Time Wrestling, which is based out of Ohio, and they, they film everything in black and white, <laughs> and all the performers are out of like a 1920, like they're all vaudeville style performance. It's, it's wonderful to watch. Um, or if you like comic book stuff, you can watch something like Chikara, which is a comic book come to life, which is where I'm from. Uh, you know, we're all uh, characters with superpowers or, you know, we're doing crazy acrobatic stuff mixed with, uh, you know, comic book style storylines and lore. There is a little bit of something for everybody. And I would truly really recommend just searching for any of the stuff. Stick with, Start with something that you know you'll enjoy, you know, if you like high-flying, you like comic books, you like gore, right? There's going to be a subgenre of pro wrestling that you might be able to get into. I'm not saying it's going to be for you specifically, <laughs> but you might be able to get into it. Um, as far as professional wrestling goes, training, as far as getting into the industry, it takes all shapes and sizes to get into professional wrestling. Like, we need them all. Good professional wrestling, you know, has tall with the short has, you know, large with the skinny, has male, has female, has all the genders involved, all the shapes, all sizes, all races involved in it. Um, because then we're, with that, we're able to tell stories we aren't able to tell otherwise. You know, we need a little bit of everything. Uh, if you think you're not, if you're to this or to that for professional wrestling, it's probably just you that feels that way. Mm. Um, there's going to be a school that is you know, going to disagree with you and say, no, we need your type of person in our environment or, you know, in our company in order to tell these kinds of stories. Uh, like right now, uh, uh, Chikar is kind of being touted as, uh, as crowning her the first non-binary champion in professional wrestling. Awesome. With Still Life with Apricots and Pears, who's very open about, you know, like, uh, uh, open publicly about being non-binary and identifies as they, them, um, which is not something that you get from pro wrestling very often. It's not an art form that is really up with the times when it comes to, you know, yeah. uh, social justices and, and things of that nature. That's really awesome. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, find the right, obviously, like, you know, find the right facility that kind of fits your ideology. Um, it exists. I promise you it's out there. Um, professional wrestling training is difficult. It is hard to become an actual in-ring performer. It's very damaging to the body. Uh, it's extremely taxing. Uh, a lot of performers, while you can have a longer career back in the day, the performance style, the rate that it's moving at now, doesn't really you know, agree with tenured careers. Um, it's difficult. Um, but if you're able to physically handle it and mentally handle it as well, I'd say give it a shot. The Wrestle Factory, which is where I teach at in South Philadelphia, along with uh, Mike Quackenbush and hollow wicked fire and other performers that travel around the world you know we're all world travel uh, trainers or performers that train out of uh, a school in philadelphia i mean there's also other good schools around the country and other schools that i've taught at around the world that i would recommend if anybody would ever hit me up and ask i've i've performed in 16 countries taught in about 14 of them um i've 
been all over the place and seen a lot of professional wrestling. Um, and there's a little bit of everything out there for everybody. That's awesome. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to tell my listeners where they can find you on the internet, uh, where they can see you perform. This episode will air in about four weeks. So, you know, stuff coming up over the next couple of months, anything that you want the listener to know about. I'm just going to look up real quick what four weeks out is. That'll be right after anniversario. So that'll be okay. Um, so first and foremost, you can find me, uh, let me help you out here, me, the venomous and vile serpent of the Nile, the one and only master of snake style, the Cobra Supernova Ophidian on Twitter, at Ophidian Cobra, or on Instagram, at Ophidian Cobra, or, you know, pretty much anywhere, at Ophidian Cobra. You can also uh, follow uh, the company that my wife and I run, Closet Champion, at Closet champion across all social media and at our patreon if you'd like to support and get some behind the scenes stuff on training on the video content that we make as well as some of the sewing stuff that we uh some of the sewing costumes that we make for the wrestling industry uh you can join us at patreon.com slash closet champion if you maybe you're interested in checking me out uh live performing uh i'll be uh at the chair it's a charity show in philadelphia on june 7th i think four weeks out june 7th we'll be at give me one second here <laughs> i have to pull that up no worries this just just got added to my schedule great uh, Friday, June 7th at Love City Brewing as part of Philly Beer Week and Pride 2019. You can also catch me at Vans Warp Tour in Atlantic City on the 29th and 30th of June with GCW. Um, as I'll be performing throughout the weekend with them. They've got four sets there. Or if you're in the Baltimore area, you can catch me at the Flying V Theater. Um, and uh, I'll be there on July 12th. I'll also be streaming live on Independent Wrestling dot tv iwtv nice um uh and beyond that this by the end of summer i'll be in europe touring again throughout the uk and the scandinavian countries and spain portugal many 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 places amazing ophidian this has been a pleasure uh again thank you for taking the time to chat with me the last thing i will request of you is we have a saying on this podcast which is music is life and life is good the idea that if you're enjoying art you're life is going to be good. So can you sign us off in your own Ophidian way with music is life and life is good? Wrestling is life. Brother, life is good. Oh, yeah, yes. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at CrashchordsWeb. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. <laughs>